Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. This week we're talking about the TV adaptation of John le Carre's The Little Drummer Girl and Ariana Grande at the BBC. We're also listening to Robin's new album Honey for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. So I have some thank yous to say to Seriously listeners before we get going with today's show, because last week we told you that I had started doing my own little podcast about detective stories called She Done It. And so many of you have gone and listened to it and have said nice things and including going out of your way to leave really nice iTunes reviews. Uh, It's just really, really lovely of you. And thank you so much. For anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, I started a tiny little solo project podcast, which you can find. We'll put the link in the description if you're interested. Basically, it's about murder mysteries and everything that I think is fun. I love that you're like tiny little. So self-deprecating. It's really a tiny little. It's a thimble sized. It's Thumbelina's podcast. They're only like 15 (laughs) minutes long each, whereas we often talk for like at least 45. So I feel it is little by comparison. And yet involves a lot more research and is incredibly structured and really professional and just brilliant so seriously listeners must check it out so the first thing that we're going to talk about on the podcast this week is the little drummer girl which is a bbc one adaptation of a john le carre novel of the same name it stars florence Pugh and alexander skarsgård and it's a 70s set espionage thriller it's kind of a big release for the BBC, isn't it, Caroline? It's one of their sort of flagship shows at the moment. Um, and you can tell that like quite a lot of BBC money has gone into this. Um, it's got loads of different locations, as we've seen in other big BBC spy thrillers like The Night Manager and McMafia, and just like incredible costumes and period details and big expansive wide shots. So it's a it's a big deal for the BBC. It is, yeah. I think it's a co-production with AMC, which is an American cable network, I want to say. So ah. it's got that kind of transatlantic uh, money behind it, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. Whenever you see a big budget uh, BBC production, that's always sort of the first question to ask, isn't it? Yeah, so it's sort of set um, in amongst like the Israel-Palestine conflict, as you say, in the 70s. I think the novel was actually published in the 80s. So it it's not like it had a huge amount of perspective on the time it was actually describing, as it were. Although mm-hmm. obviously 
the script now can take in subsequent issues. But um, like in the first episode, they go to the the site of the Munich Olympics hostage crisis and stuff, which obviously feels very recent and real to the Israeli people involved. Yeah, so it, it follows... I suppose there are two... I've, I've watched the first episode. I think you've watched a little bit more than me. I have, yeah. So, so far, at least from my perspective, it seems to be focusing in on two main characters. An Israeli spy master, I guess you'd call him. He seems to be in charge of things. Um, called big Marty. Dog. Yeah, he's a big dog. Marty Kurtz, I think. And then Charlie, a British actress who, at the very end of the first episode, you sort of see her get recruited essentially, by Marty. Yeah, and um, the first sort of five minutes or so of this programme the before the credits even roll is full of kind of ticking watches and you very quickly become aware that there's a bomb in a suitcase in um, the family home of this Jewish family and the bomb goes off and we see a very beautiful blonde girl kind of giggling proudly in a car alongside a kind of dark haired um, male driver and so that's that's one of the key um, kind of moments that we're now going back over and over and trying to figure out um, what exactly happened and who these terrorists are and there's a immediately you notice the physical similarity between the girl in mm. the car um, and the actress character of Charlie Florence so although we don't get any sense of why any kind of factual sense of why charlie is of interest to this very kind of shady group of spies you're kind of as a viewer visually encouraged to imagine it's got something to do with the fact that they need someone to pose as this as this woman because their hair is identical and they're wearing similar colors and they really emphasize that don't they that the guy who first initially makes contact with her while she's on holiday in greece gives her a present of a new dress isn't it and Mm -hmm. he's like i thought you would look great in this color and it's bright yellow which is the color that the girl who hands over the bomb is wearing in the opening sequence so you're that connection is really pushed towards you the fact that these women are supposed to look like each other i think yes exactly and um there's also like a, a very telegraphed necklace early on um and i'm just kind of like waiting it hasn't happened yet but i'm waiting for the moment where um Charlie inevitably wears this necklace that we've seen yes. the other woman wearing. But yeah, as you say, there's this this char- Alexander Skarsgård's character who's like sometimes called Joe and sometimes called Peter, and <laughs> you see mm, he has a lot yeah. of names. Um, but I think is is mainly called Becca. Uh, is this kind of sexually magnetic, mysterious, silent character who? We don't really understand what his role in kind of trying to stop this terrorist plot really is. Um, but he's lied to Charlie a lot in that in that first episode. Yeah, he says right at the end in a way that is slightly alarming. He says, like, I've lied to you as little as possible. Yeah. Not, I've told you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> They're two quite different things. Um, and of course, Charlie is the kind of practiced actress. Um it you know it, it, quite quickly we come to understand that she's also hiding things from them so mm. 
it's kind of got up everything that you'd expect from a John le Carre adaptation and everything you'd expect from a BBC espionage thriller in that it's got all these people who are very beautiful in very luxe locations, keeping closely guarded secrets from each other in about 10 different ways. <laughs> yeah. And I think I am going to keep watching it. I found it interesting in quite a low key way. I wasn't completely gripped in a whodunity type way. But I find it, I mean, I found both The Night Manager and McMafia, which I think you're right to say that this is the BBC like commissioning in that same vein. I found both of those just quite annoying in how melodramatic they were. Mm. Whereas, I mean, not that this doesn't have its like big set pieces, but so far anyway, it seems a bit more low key. Totally. And it's just visually completely stunning. Uh, I yeah, think so much beautiful brown textures from the 70s. Yeah, it's got all those it's got all those textures, like you say. Um, and it's just like really beautifully shot. The costumes are amazing. Um, and it's directed by Park Chan Wook, who uh, directed The Handmaiden, um, mm-hmm. a Korean director, South Korean film director, who's done lots of um, visually just incredibly gorgeous and striking movies so uh it's not really a surprise that it it kind of looks the way it does but it does really bring an extra element to it in that like every shot in it feels very deliberate and like there are some gorgeous shots of like the parthenon and like other mm, amazing yeah. like just just really th- those are the things that elevate it above kind of your standard bbc um drama so I think for that reason, it's really worth watching. Definitely, yeah. And I also think that, um, I mean, I don't actually know a huge amount about John le Carre. I've watched the um, old adaptation of Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, and I've also seen the newer film with uh, Colin Firth in it. But that's about the extent of my knowledge of him. Um, But I think just from what people who are big fans have said, that what you can expect from a Le Carre is lots of good detail about spying that doesn't necessarily make it into other books on this subject just because you know he did actually work in this field so he does know what the deal was mm-hmm. and then also just always ambiguity um it's never the case I don't think in a Le Carre that there are goodies and baddies there are just a lot of people trying to do what they think is the right thing mm-hmm. and their interests sometimes overlap and sometimes they conflict um so yeah that's kind of what I'm interested to see more of in this but I'm interested to see how they kind of develop the individual characters in that sense like is anyone actually a villain here totally and I quite often find like the political analysis of some of these BBC dramas to be a bit lacking or or a bit kind of cringeworthy sometimes in their kind of like not obviousness, but like there's often a real sense of like, oh, this is contemporary because we mentioned <laughs> the word refugee. And it's a bit like, well, what are you actually saying, though? And like, I don't know. So I'm not it's that's that would not be a reason why I would keep watching. It's really for me more an aesthetic kind of thrill mm. that I'm getting from it than anything else. For a couple of decades between the First and Second World Wars, something mysterious happened. There were murders in country houses, on golf courses, in far-flung parts of the globe and quaint English villages. No fictional character was safe. Because these events were all fictional, the plots of novels that flooded the market in the 1920s and 30s. People couldn't get enough of all of the inventive ways that writers like Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers and more 
could think of for people to die. This period came to be known as the golden age of detective fiction, and for good reason. So that's what I'm going to be doing in this podcast, telling the stories that lurk in the shadows of the famous detective novels. If you've ever stayed up late reading under the covers to find out who done it, then this podcast is for you. Find us at shedoneitshow.com, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as shedoneitshow, and in all major podcast apps. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So the next thing we're going to talk about is a couple of Ariana Grande things, basically. She had a special on the BBC recently with Davina McCall, which was a kind of in conversation with her, plus some performances of songs from her new album and a few like older hits. And then also she completely unexpectedly dropped a new single called Thank You Next, mm-hmm. which is a very personal song dealing with her recent romantic past and her attitude to it basically uh so should we start with the tv special sure let's start with the tv special so yeah the bbc have done a few of these kind of like Mm -hmm. pop star at the bbc things itv did one with beyonce oh did they i was ages ago and it's really good and yeah i think was it ITV or the BBC who did the Michael Bublé sort of Christmassy one? I can't remember now. I think ITV. The The only BBC one I think I've watched before is the Adele right. one. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which was a very similar format, except with Graham Norton instead of Davina McCall hosting. Totally. So, yeah, it's like a small studio performance interspersed with interviews. Harry Styles did one of these. That's that's the other oh, big right. BBC okay, one. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Harry Styles at the BBC. Yeah, so it's a a series of intimate live performances interspersed with interviews from Davina McCall. I always find the interviews portions of these um, sort of hour-long shows a bit um, 
I don't know, obsequious that they're, they're never, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, TV interviews with massive celebrities are so hard because obviously they, you know, that all the questions are agreed upon. So, um, like specifically in advance and for TV, like, I don't know, like awkward interviews don't really make good TV, even though they sometimes make really amazing print interviews. So you want to keep it kind of like snappy and light and stuff. And often mm-hmm. it just means you're getting sync. You're just like, like Davina McCall is very complimentary about Ariana Grande in this interview. And it's a lot of like, so you, you were singing from as young as five. And it's like, well, yeah, almost all like global mega pop stars <laughs> realized yeah. very young that they could sing. Like that is, I don't know. It's kind of like, thank you next <laughs> on that question. Like, I feel like they're a little bit pointless. There's, so much that's interesting about Ariana Grande so some of it was interesting and like Davina McCall is kind of a good person to do a sympathetic face when she asks about the Manchester attacks and things like that so I can understand why they've gone for Davina McCall and I understand why it ends up being a little bit kind of bland but also she Ariana Grande is so good in the interview process that actually it kind of saves it like she talks back to the audience a fair bit um mm. there's a moment where Davina McCall's like I hear that you've like really come through the other side with your anxiety and learned how to manage it and Ariana Grande's like I'm gonna say no I haven't and it's you know it's it, it's a really easy opportunity for her to be like yeah I've grown so much like end of conversation yeah, about mental health I thought that was good instead she's like no mental health doesn't work that way it's not all fixed and yeah so that I, I liked little things like that you get a sense that she is Obviously, she's incredibly well media trained, but she, she there is something more interesting than that about her as well. So although it, it is ultimately quite a boring interview, there are little moments where I'm like, oh, Ariana Grande, she's just great. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt as well. But for me, I think the main interest in this special was the musical arrangements mm-hmm. because she performs... I want to say about half a dozen songs, mostly from Sweetener, but she also did Dangerous Woman and One Last Time. Oh. Uh, but they, they're they all done with this amazing orchestral backing, which is obviously not how they are produced in their original form or how she normally does them live. And also just for like an added aesthetic touch, it was an all-woman orchestra, mm-hmm. which was a really fun look on stage. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, so she's singing songs like um, God is a Woman with this incredible like swooping string background. Plus some of the, I really liked how some of the stuff that is electronic in the original mixes is now like played by harps and things like that, by plucked harps, yeah. which just gives it a really interesting sound. And uh, yeah, so I really, really like that. And as we, we've said before, and we've talked about Ariana Grande, that, you know, whatever you think of her music, you cannot argue with her voice and her sort of technical singing ability and so she's absolutely got a voice that can stand up to like a big orchestra like you can't even really tell that she's singing particularly hard over so many instruments totally and there is a moment where in one of her many compliments Davina McCall says something like you're one of the only singers I know who who sounds better than their recordings when they sing live and I do Mm. think that is a fair point she does she does sound just so incredible I mean she's you know, I know a lot of people get annoyed with just how she barely enunciates anything. She's just like, it's just like a garble of vowels. <laughs> it's just vowels. Yeah. It's just vowels. Yeah. Which, you know, it, yeah, fair enough. But I, I thought it was really amazing. I, I love the orchestra. I'm a sucker for things like that. Really just pleases me in a way that I can't really fight. Um, yeah, I, I loved Dangerous Woman. I think that was probably the highlight of all the songs for me. Yeah, it's such a clever song that as well that... um 
I've listened to it so many times trying to work out what it is that works about it so well. But I think it's because it starts with what is a very modern sounding, almost spoken like syncopated section all on one note. Mm -hmm. And then it goes into this huge, like swooping, almost big band jazz chorus Mm. where she's like rising up and up and the sort of um, the backing is like following her chromatically. And it's really, really clever. You get sort of both both aesthetics simultaneously and there aren't many songs that can do that successfully. And it's also just huge. Like Mm. she really lets go voice-wise on that song and it feels really kind of uplifting and moves you along and then yeah if you add strings into the mix as well obviously even more so I loved the fan interactions as well just thought it was great Mm. like you can tell that all the people in the first like 10 rows are like important BBC no no the opposite I think like important BBC fans like older people sat down oh I see what you mean right and then yeah the people on the balcony and and stuff were all just like (laughs) bopping away mouthing all the words the five the five rows or so at the back like there's probably only about 15 rows it's very intimate but those guys at the back were just like absolutely bringing it and like you could hear like the first 10 rows are so silent during all her songs in a probably quite respectful way just you know like wanting to hear and then you can just hear these little echoes from the back where they're just like screaming i love that they left that in it actually i thought that was really really good that um I love that you could hear the fact that people were singing along, like not in a really obtrusive way, but just in a like, she's not singing to an empty room. Yeah, completely. Kind of way. I thought that was really nice. And it reminded me, I also kind of wanted to mention, I don't know if you watched any of Wicked 15, which was the last day, I think it was on Halloween, maybe um, in the last week of October, uh, which was 15 year anniversary of Wicked. And it had like Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth and all of the original mm. Broadway cast of of Wicked sing some songs and a bunch of pop stars sing some Wicked songs. And Ariana Grande did The Wizard and I, which is you can find a uh. performance of her doing that when she's kind of like 13 or younger or something at her school or somewhere. Um, and so she sang that and it's just like, oh, it's just incredible. Like it's Idina Menzel levels of just like, absolutely incredible vocal performance and i must watch all these wicked i don't know how they managed to fight like whether they're whether it's just a suitable crossover between wicked fans and ariana grande fans but there are all these people just like in bright green get up in the audience just like weeping like they've never (laughs) seen anything so moving in their entire lives and it's just so brilliant so i would really recommend going and watching that it's like on youtube they release them all as well videos um yeah it's great so we should say that I'm pretty sure that this BBC special was recorded like at least three months ago. It definitely um, was recorded not, pre-breakup. Yeah, because not least because she's still wearing her massive engagement ring in it. And obviously she is no longer engaged to Pete Davidson, mm-hmm. which sort of leads us into talking about this new single that she's just released called Thank You Next, in which she, I think quite unusually, I mean, of course, pop stars write about their exes. I mean, Taylor Swift has made a whole career out mm. of it, but um, they don't often like specifically name them. Yeah, she names them in all. The first verse. Like, the first verse is a list of basically naming all her exes, which is, yeah, it's a bold move. And the song seemed, to, but I think probably didn't as organically as it seemed, though maybe that's cynical of me, to come out of a, a kind of series of twi- tweets and Twitter interactions that Ariana Grande had where obviously high profile breakup between her and Pete Davidson, who's a comedian who is often on Saturday night live. Um, he has to go on Saturday night live every week. So he's made a couple of references to their breakup on the show 
And one of them um, was a little skit where before the show, he introduced um, a musical guest, Maggie Rogers, and then said, hey, Maggie, will you marry me? As a joke about how (laughs) quickly he proposes. And Ariana Grande tweeted something like, "You see, funny how you claim to not care about relevancy and that, but are clinging to it in ev- in everything you do." Mm-hmm. And then, um, "Thank you, comma next." Uh, so, and literally within the space of a couple of days, this song comes out called "Thank You, comma next." Um, I don't know whether she could possibly have recorded it in the two days <laughs> uh, after those tweets. Oh, you never know. I mean, she's certainly got the financial backing to do so. I, but whether whether she actually did or not is another question. Or whether that that tweet was kind of part of a planned promotional strategy for the song. Um, but yeah, thank you. Next, sees her like list her exes and then say, "I'm so grateful for them." And now I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Um, so it's but it's it's very poppy synthy boppy in a way that a lot of sweetener was a little bit more kind of experimental might be too extreme a word because it's hardly like let's eat grandma or anything but like it was slightly more formally playful and um not necessarily so verse hook chorus Mm, basic as some of her other records but thank you next feels like a kind of return to pop in its in its purest form um and i love i love those kinds of songs so i'm really into this yeah i'm really into this song and also just the the whole like trick of it is just really surprising that there was a really great um quite short but really good uh, review of it on pitchfork where they basically said you know we've seen lots of clapping back at x's mm. songs in the past when have you ever seen one where someone in what feels like a really genuine way says like, thank you for all that you taught me. But now I have a better relationship with myself and I feel ready for the next thing. Um, mm. it, it does feel like not at all snarky. It does feel like that's what she's really saying. Um, and I saw some people when it came out making some really sweeping statements about how how hopeful and great it is that like this is the new generation's version of a breakup <laughs> song actually it's like yeah no I don't think you can extrapolate anything about that but I do think that it does say something interesting about her herself that like this is her her way of responding to her very public private life yeah totally and there's something really like it still manages to be sassy and fun it's not so magnanimous mm. that there's no kind of ponytail flip in there like thank you next as a thing to say is obviously still pretty like sassy and I like that about you know because Ariana does have that side to her I I love it when she's kind of being a bit more playful so that really works for me yeah I think it's really good I can't wait to see what she does next musically I mean I was like reading her Twitter feed earlier and she seems to be teasing a new album really soon yeah um like this is but I mean Sweetener's only been out well like six months if if that so she has uh, an enormous tour to go on as well so i imagine there will be some delay (laughs) um but yeah we stand a sassy legend we do so last week we decided to discuss uh the new album from robin robin the swedish singer who you'll know from such hits as Dancing on My Own. So this is her her eighth studio album and her first since Body Talk in 2010. So it's been a long um, a long pause in the in the career of Robin. Um, 
so the lead single was Missing You and uh, the second single was Honey, which we originally heard kind of trailed on the end of a Girls episode. I don't know if you were still watching Girls at that point, Caroline, but that was... I remember that. Yeah, Robin's very associated with Girls because isn't it at the start of the very first episode, Marnie and Hannah like dance in their room to dancing on my I'll own. actually reveal my uh my girls stanning history I'm pretty sure that's season one episode three <laughs> is that episode three so. okay well it's very um, early on anyway yeah yeah so this new record has been so um hyped and trailed and a lot of people she's for me she's kind of like a Carly Rae Jepsen figure in that there are a very vocal, but in terms of the mainstream, probably actually quite small um, section of music lovers who are just absolutely mm. obsessed with Robin. And a lot of them are like actual music critics. And that's, you know, a testament to how good she is that, you know, professional music critics are, are really, really into her. But she's not, you know, it's it's not like a new um, Beyonce album or new Lady Gaga album or new Ariana Grande album in terms of how the mainstream are anticipating it but for me and in my circles it's felt very very intensely anticipated yeah I think you're right and it's easy sometimes to get these things a bit out of proportion actually especially it's a bit like um if you follow a lot of people from film twitter you can get the idea that a certain film is like the biggest thing happening in the next few weeks and then you actually try and see it at your local cinema and it's not even on because it's you know so small it's not being distributed um everywhere and I feel the same with Robin in the sense that like has did Robin ever really break America other than via tv I don't know I think if she did it was it's amongst a small section of people I don't think it's a yeah it's a huge mainstream thing but yeah I mean this record I liked, I listened to it several times through. I feel like it's both a bit different to what's gone before, but not so different that if you're a fan, you won't, you know, find plenty in it that you you recognise. But I have to say, it hasn't yet kind of grabbed me both by the throat. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I really, I actually really like it. I do. It, it, because it's slightly more complex pop music. It's not necessarily just like we were talking about with Ariana Grande, it's, it's it's more complex, so it's not as immediately catchy often. Um, but it also means that mm-hmm. you don't you don't wear them out as quickly. Her songs, you know, they there's a reason why eight years later, or even longer, maybe "Dancing on My Own" is still just such an enormous like I hear it every time I go out, which isn't very often, but yeah. <laughs> I do. You know, I hear it a lot still, and I think that's that's the real strength of her music is that it's complex enough to be lasting so yeah i i actually am really enjoying listening to this record i think the two singles that that i already knew i'm st- are still sounding great missing you and honey but yeah it's it's kind of that balancing between terrible appalling heartbreak and some kind of like euphoria in the face of it that is kind of yeah. like her signature brand and you still feel that on this record yes and I feel like I learned a lot from um a friend of the podcast Laura Snapes wrote this amazing long read for the Guardian about um about how Robin has transformed pop uh, and there's a whole section in that where she talks about 
working through grief and making pop music at the same time, which really illuminated some of the album for me, I think. Yeah, totally. I think it's a, it's an amazing uh, piece if people haven't read it. And I think, obviously, whenever you're talking about Robin, it's just like, wow, she really did so much, um, you know, and like producing and songwriting and singing in the face of so, so many obstacles <laughs> and left a really like indelible mark on the music scene as a result. And I think Laura really gets that across in her profile. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm going to keep going with this album and I feel confident that it's it's going to do it for me in the end. But yeah, it's not like an immediate grab you mm-hmm. by the head type mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So Anna, what are we going to do next week? So for next week, um, I quite want to talk to you about a profile, a written profile on the internet, uh, which is an interview in GQ with Ezra Miller, who... Uh, people might know as the lead in We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, was he in Girls as well? No, we were just talking about Girls, or have I completely made that up? I feel like all actors with cheekbones have been in Girls at I, some point. Now I, I don't know why I'm thinking that. Maybe he, ha- maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Nah, he was not. <laughs> I don't know where <laughs> I got that from. He was. I feel like he was in a movie with... Oh, yeah, he was in Trainwreck. That's what I'm thinking of. Ah, uh, okay, um, right, yeah. Yeah, so he's in those films and also uh, got a huge role in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the franchise. Um, So he's kind of a handsome 20-something young lad with cheekbones who's always doing quite bizarre things and seems very eccentric. Um, And he's recently done a big GQ interview where he talks about living on a farm in Vermont and uh birthing goats and it also comes with a lot of really gorgeous photos of him in a lot of women's wear just looking really beautiful so i think we should read and discuss for next week Mm, sounds good Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.